The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, a fellow registered dietitian, Mary Purdy. Mary Purdy is an integrative registered dietitian. She is based in Seattle, Washington, where she provides nutrition and lifestyle counseling to clients using personalized genetic data and functional labs. She received her master's degree from Bastyr University, where she also worked as an adjunct professor and clinical supervisor. Ms. Purdy is chair of Dietitians in Integrative and Functional Medicine, that particular practice group within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She is also the host of the delightful and fully entertaining web series and podcast titled Mary's Nutrition Show, and she's the author of a recently published book titled Serving the Broccoli Gods. She is likely one of the most theatrical registered dietitians I know, probably because before becoming a dietitian, she spent 12 years as a writer and an actor. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much, Melinda. It's fantastic to be here. Well, you have such a unique niche in that you left your field of theater and turned it around, went into a scientific field. How did that happen? Well, you know, theater is a difficult profession to thrive at. Contrary to many popular beliefs about how glamorous it is, it is hard and heartbreaking. And I found myself at a crossroads when I was about 33 going, what the heck am I doing with my life? And it was the same time that my dad got super duper sick and wound up in the hospital with some very poor advice from a registered dietitian. And I thought, hmm, registered dietitian, hospital, food, sickness, how can I be a part of this? And that was really the turning point for me, was realizing that I could make a difference in people's lives with food. Yeah, and this is so unfortunate, isn't it? If I remember correctly from your book, your dad was ill and he needed calories. He had lost a significant amount of weight. And the advice from the dietitian on staff where he was said, hey, doesn't really matter what you eat. Eat fast food if you'd like. You just need to gain weight. And you recognize that even not being trained in dietetics as not being the best advice. I was shocked, to be honest. She mentioned the word Big Mac in the same sentence as my father's health care plan, and I thought, that cannot be appropriate advice for someone whose organs have completely shut down, who is essentially emaciated. I mean, I get it now as a dietitian that if somebody is severely compromised and just needs to gain weight, if that is all they can eat, then I welcome them to have something that they can actually stomach. But if we have the option to give them a high-calorie meal or dish or food that is also healthy, well, heck, why not try and make that the recommendation first and foremost? Exactly. Well, the mission of your program is to help people look better, feel better, and live better. And I think we really, all of us, share that mission in dietetics. And I'm just curious why you chose Bastyr University and what makes that university unique? 
Bastyr is incredibly unique in that it takes a real whole person and natural medicine approach to health. So it is looking not just at, okay, calories in, calories out, macro, micronutrients. It also looks at the whole picture of the person. So it takes into account what is the effect of sleep, of stress on the human body? How do we look at the root cause of disease? What are the environmental effects and impacts of our food choices? How can we enable someone to feel empowered enough to make different kinds of choices around their diet? And what might be some different kinds of strategies that may not be typical to the mainstream dietitian that we might consider as a potential therapeutic strategy or intervention for that person. Yeah. So Bestia really focuses on that, and I really appreciated that wider and broader perspective on what is possible. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me. Being in this profession for over 30 years now, I, I think to myself how we were so narrowly trained, at least in my program, and with fully good intentions, we really focused on diet and exercise, but we didn't think enough about all of those other factors that really appeal to me in the integrative and functional medicine model. So I Mm. do want you to explain to our listeners, how would you define integrative and functional medicine in dietetics? Great question. And I think if you were speaking to somebody else, they might, everyone probably has a different opinion, but I see it from three points of view. So number one, it's that whole person approach. It's an emphasis on personalizing the treatment and addressing all of the aspects of what makes someone's wellness plan work. So asking them about their sleep, their stress, their GI function, their spirituality, their mental, emotional health, what's happening in their personal environment, home environment, school environment, work environment, environment environment. That's number one. Number two is seeing ourselves, our practitioners and specifically registered dietitians as the detective, which you might appreciate as a food sleuth. We're not just treating the symptoms, but we are trying to understand what is the root cause of this condition that someone's dealing with. So we're understanding, gosh, where did the breakdown start here? Where did that physiological breakdown start? And what steps can we take to bring the body back into balance? Because nothing is ever happening in isolation in the body, right? It's always connected to a million other things. So just because you have a thyroid condition, that doesn't mean that it's only your thyroid that's actually affected. I ask a lot of questions to figure out what's going on. And we're understanding, too, how nutrition is really food is medicine in that capacity as well. I know. I love that whole motto, that whole way of thinking. And when you think about food that comes into our bodies and how intimately connected we are, not only to the ingredients in that food, but how that food was produced. I feel like that should shape how we move forward in how we produce our food. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It makes such a big difference, whether it's how your food is produced, where it's produced, why it's produced, how much it's produced, and who gets access to it. I mean, those are considerations that we need to be bringing to the conversation around food. Yeah. I was really intrigued in reading about your work history and what you do, that you're looking at personalized genetic data and functional labs. Tell me what that means and how that plays out with your clients. Yes. So this is that third point that I was going to make as well. I love to think about utilizing all the different tools that help us to understand what could be going on for somebody, but also how to treat it. So whether that's supplementation, acupuncture, massage, therapy, 
using things like labs and genetic testing helps us to understand the full picture. So when we are trying to understand what's happening for somebody in terms of imbalances in their body, one of the great ways for us to provide additional data, like those clues that we're looking for as detectives, is to look at where their labs are in or out of range. And what I think is essential for us to realize is that just because someone's labs are in range, according to mainstream medicine, they may be just a hair away from being out of range. So we need to take that into consideration to say, huh, let's make sure that we prevent those labs from going out of range right now before they actually get there, and then we've got the problem. So that's the thing with blood analytes and looking at those kinds of chemistries. When it comes to genetic testing, this is a really new field, Melinda, Mm, but I think there's going to be a lot of potential in terms of understanding what kinds of variations in people's genes might have an impact on their potential or predisposition for certain kinds of health conditions. Mm -hmm. So while genes aren't necessarily 100% predictive, again, I think they offer us clues into what might be going on or what could potentially go on as a result of having a specific variation in someone's genome. Yeah. So again, just more clues to the big picture. Yeah, and I love how we study the environment and its connection to our genetic makeup. I think that is just fascinating. And like you say, I think this is one of the new frontiers. I'm also fascinated, as I'm sure you are too, with the microbiome research. And this might sound a little disgusting, but dietitians are so used to talking about this. But analyzing the feces and seeing what kinds of bacteria or other microorganisms are living within our guts and how that might predispose us to certain diseases and how we can change our diet to impact the microbiome? 100%. The microbiome is the hot, hot topic. Poop has never been so popular. I talk about it all the time with people. And yeah, what we're learning is that the microbiome or all of those bacterial species that live in the gut have an impact on our immune health, on our inflammatory status. They are breaking down toxins and metabolites. They are actually producing vitamins. So if we do not have a sufficient or effective microbiome, we're going to see that on numerous different health fronts, whether that's our immune function, our brain health, our ability to produce sufficient amounts of serotonin. It makes a big, big difference. And what we're eating is having a direct impact on how plentiful the good bacteria are in our guts. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you that I think broadly... Dietitians are pretty stiff. We spend a lot of time in our science books and we're very careful and critical thinkers. And then there's you who you marry this scientific thinking with this fabulous personality. And I absolutely love your series of shows. And I want to jump into some of the topics that you present in the most entertaining way. Nobody else talks about optimizing nutrition for the brain and anti-inflammatory diets the way you do. I mean, you make it interesting. Why, thank you. I'm I'm flattered. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm doing is I'm warning our listeners that when they go to your website and look up your program, Mary's Nutrition Show, that they are going to be a little surprised by the entertainment value. We call it edutainment because (laughs) I think this can often be a pretty dry subject. And a lot of people are out there going, please don't tell me what to do. Stop telling me to eat my vegetables. I'm not getting rid of my bacon. But when you present information in a way that makes people giggle or laugh or just feel more lighthearted, 
I think there's an opening that helps move people through their resistance to changes. I And, and that makes it fun. Yeah. Life is too short not to have fun. So we're going to move the stiffness aside and really recognize that food nutrition is terrifically interesting. And when presented in a fun way, it's much easier, as you say, to make it a reality. So let's dive in to some of the areas that you have covered so well in your program. I want to talk about sugar craving. When I was going through your programs and the information you provided, I thought, I stopped on sugar craving because I don't know about you, but so many people tell me that that's really one of their greatest challenges. So tell us how to overcome sugar cravings in five easy steps. And you know what's funny about this? And you mentioned the the research and the critical thinking. And I think the research in evidence-based medicine is incredibly important. But I want to emphasize that evidence-based medicine is looking at the research. It's also looking at our clinical experience. So I bring in 10 years of clinical experience of talking to hundreds of patients. And that's where I've gotten some of my techniques as well. So when it comes to sugar cravings, the things that I have discovered is number one, it usually is a lack of some macronutrients. So if you are craving sugar, it's highly likely that you didn't have enough fat in your meal, you didn't have enough protein, you didn't have enough fiber. So I have people look at that first. Is your meal balanced? Number two, are you hydrated? So if somebody is dehydrated, it is very easy to go straight for the the sweet something. Um, so that's another really easy thing to look at. The other thing too is, has somebody skipped a meal? So if you're skipping meals and you're super duper hungry, the brain is going to actively and naturally go to the very thing that gives it the most amount of energy with the least amount of effort. And what is that usually? A little touch of sugar. Yeah. Whether that's a potato chip broken down readily into sugar or whether that's your Skittles. So it's very natural, and I think the other thing about sugar cravings is to bring the humanity into it. Oh, the humanity. To let people know you are not a bad person. Let's just do some detective work to figure out what could be going on. It's very natural to crave sugar. So that's number three, and I hope I'm remembering these all. It was a while I did that program. Number four is there may not be enough flavor in somebody's meals. And so when you're eating a bland diet, once again, the palate is seeking stimulation. And if we bring in new flavors into the diet, whether that is cardamom or cayenne pepper or mustard seed or bergamot or whatever it is, then very often we can shift people's palate to stop craving the same old things over and over and over again when they've been overly stimulated and excited by a burst of cilantro on their tongue. So that's another piece. And then the final piece is more thinking about it from that integrative perspective, which is maybe it's not about the diet. Maybe it's about something deeper. Maybe it's an emotional thing. And very often, this is it, that people go to sugar because there is something comforting about sugar or they're feeling bad and they are craving something that makes them feel good right away. And that is sugar, which lights up the reward center in the brain fairly immediately, as I think we could all attest to because we've all eaten the little piece of chocolate here and there. Absolutely. Um, so it's very natural to also gravitate towards that sugary craving when you're feeling down or stressed or frustrated. So I really encourage people to look at that aspect of, of it as well. 
That just makes so much sense. Let me take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and my guest is the lovely, entertaining, and intelligent Mary Purdy, integrative registered dietitian based in Seattle, Washington. She is the host of a terrific web series and podcast titled Mary's Nutrition Show, and she's also the author of a funny little book called Serving the Broccoli Gods. All right, I want to put the ball in your court. Why don't you let our listeners know what some of the greatest challenges are that your patients bring to you? The biggest challenges, I think, come from a place of not being able to make the change easily. And I think when people are dealing with very, very deep-rooted emotional issues, it takes a lot more time to get through those to help people to change than it does to somebody who might just need to be educated and to be pointed in the right direction. So that's number one. And number two, something that I'm really realizing for myself is that very often it's not necessarily always about the perfect food that's going to somehow heal somebody. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to give you the most amazing quinoa salad and your eczema is going to disappear. (laughs) But it is the issue of how do we even ensure that people are getting access to food in general? How do Mm -hmm. I make sure that people who don't have enough money can even buy the foods that help them to prevent diseases and address the health issues that they are currently dealing with? And that, for me, is the bigger, broader issue that I'm discovering more and more is it's less about these foods and food components that are suddenly going to heal you from whatever disease you have. And it's really about how do we even ensure that people can eat the foods that help them to prevent disease in the first place. Yeah. I feel the same way. There's this justice and equity component. And I see a lot of people who would appear on the surface to be adequately, if not more than adequately nourished from a caloric standpoint. But I think that we are seeing a lot of diseases related to inflammation, a lot of diseases related to the fact that our diets really are widely deficient in one or more, say, micronutrients or deficient in a lot of these plant compounds, the phytochemicals, which you write about in your book. You did a great webinar. You did a series of pieces on different dietary approaches with regard to fruits and vegetables, the power of those phytochemicals, those phytonutrients. Then you also did a great piece on anti-inflammatory foods. And I wonder, could you talk to us a little bit about What does an anti-inflammatory diet look like? Once again, I think there's a lot of different variations on what it actually means, but there's a fantastic pyramid that Dr. Andrew Weil actually has on his website, and it focuses on exactly what you just said, which is that the bulk of your food should come from foods and food components that are rich in those phytochemicals, those plant chemicals that can help to neutralize the free radicals, which are those reactive molecules that are either circulating in our bloodstream as a result of our own biochemical reactions of being alive or that we're exposed to just through the interactions that we have every single day. And so it's doing anything we can to reduce inflammation in the body, whether that's fruits, vegetables, herbs, spices, and then healthy fats coming specifically from nuts and omega-3 fatty acids from fish and things like that. 
and then really reducing the foods that may have the potential to cause inflammation. So your fried foods, your sugary foods, your excessive amounts of alcohol, foods that are high, high in saturated fat. doesn't mean that saturated fat is all bad, but in excessive amounts, it definitely can lead to inflammation. And then what I love about Andrew Weil's pyramid is that there is an entire category of the pyramid just dedicated to mushrooms. Oh, wow. So how I'm interesting. a big fan. They're one of the sources of vitamin D in the diet, unlike many other foods, which do not have a natural source of vitamin D. It's small, but it's mighty. And they have these particular compounds in them that have been known and shown in the research to reduce inflammation. So that kind of a diet is going to set the stage in your body for an immune system that is much more imbalanced. And remember, inflammation is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you know. We want inflammation because when you get a cut, that is exactly what is happening. Your body is launching into action and saying, oh my gosh, there's been a cut. Let me send in the soldiers. And all these wonderful little soldiers come to the cut and create inflammation in that area to bring blood flow and everything gets repaired. But it's when it's chronic that we are working to make sure that our immune function is optimized and working in such a way that we don't need constant inflammation to be there. And so food can really help mitigate that. Yeah. Isn't this what makes being a dietitian really fun and rewarding? For me, yes. I mean, I'm telling you, I could talk about this stuff all day. You know, you catch me at a party, somebody starts asking me about nutrition. I'm like, are you serious? Do you really, do you really want to go here? Because I will go here. And don't tell me what you had for breakfast because I don't care. But if you want me to start talking about nutrition and how much I love food and the amazing properties that it has, we'll be here for a long time. I'm with you. And I'm so glad you're my guest because we share this enthusiasm for the subject. I want to jump into your book for a moment because you have an ingredient here that I want to talk about. It's the glory of green tea. And it has this helpful amino acid, L-theanine. And I wonder if you could talk about why you gave green tea a couple of pages in your book. Green tea, I think, is one of the easiest ways to get in phytochemicals into your body that are incredibly protective. It is non-caloric unless you douse it with sugar and honey, which is not necessary. But it is an incredible bounty of nutrients and something called epigallocatechins, which have been shown in some of the research to be protective potentially against cancer. And then as you mentioned, they have this compound in it called L-theanine, which has been shown to help with stress response. So there are actually supplements out there that are called L-theanine, and people will often take supplements to help calm their mind, help produce serotonin, help with sleep, and green tea naturally has this L-theanine in it. So while people don't often think of green tea as being calming, they think of it as being a little bit of a boost if they're looking for a shot of caffeine or something, it actually has this counteracting amino acid in it, which can provide a bit of support to the brain in that way as well. Yeah, I love green tea. And I remember being asked one time from somebody, they didn't want to eat a whole lot of vegetables. And I suggested that they try green tea because they were, as you say, they were going to get a lot of these protective plant nutrients that were anti-inflammatory, but they could just sip it. And I do not like personally to swallow little hard tablets. If I can drink something or eat something and have it taste great, that to me is more pleasurable than the pill. Yes. And I have to say something about green tea because people will often say, oh, I don't like green tea. It's so bitter. Yeah. And that's when I say, stop, 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 stop. You're steeping it for too long. Green tea does not like to be steeped more than about a minute. 
and it needs to be at a certain temperature. This sounds kind of snobby, but it's more just in terms of making sure that people are optimizing their experience. Don't boil it and don't steep it for too long because then you will curse my name and not enjoy your cup of tea. Right. And the loose leaf stuff is really good. Do you have a favorite kind that you love? Oh, gosh, I can't even remember the brand. I know that I buy organic tea because I actually went to a tea conference where they spoke about how much tea is often sprayed. And so I know that I look for organic brands. I like the ones that have some mint along with them. And sometimes I use mint Mm. from my own garden to help Take away, I think there's a tanniny kind of taste. As you mentioned, it could be bitter. But I was glad Mm -hmm. to learn from you that it's best if it's steeped in 175 degree water to help reduce that bitterness. So thank you for that lesson. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And organic for sure. And fair trade is also a key piece here too because there are many practices in the tea world that are not really supporting the farmers who are growing the tea leaves. And so there are companies that really pay attention to that, and I like to support those companies as well. Okay, Mary, we just have a couple of minutes left. So what would you like to share with our listeners, either from your book, from your show, or from your experience in working with patients? Hmm. I guess the thing that I want to say the most is that We have an opportunity three to six times a day, however often people are eating, um, in accordance with what works for them, to make choices around our food that actually make a difference, not only to our health, but to the environment, to the companies who produce the food, to the people who are helping to grow the food. So I feel like it's it's an empowering position to be in as a human to know that you can make choices three times a day that can actually do good in the world, especially in the world that we're living in right now where a little bit of good is very, very welcome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is a very powerful tool, not only for our own health, but for the world, as you say, for moving forward in a sustainable fashion. And you have programs on climate. You have programs on what to eat when traveling. You have programs on supplements. You have programs on salt, optimizing the brain. Yeah. What's next up for you in terms of your TV programming and how often do you produce these wonderful presentations? Right now, we're working with an every other week podcast, and we were doing Facebook Live for a while, which was a lot of fun, but a lot of work. And I have a full-time job, so I was only able to to devote so much time to it. But but I think the goal is to be producing more and more content and to uh, expand our audience so that we have an engaged community of people who are sharing information, sharing experiences, and that we're reaching more people. So I always love to hear, what do you want to know about? What am I not covering that is essential for people who are interested in issues around food, whether it's environmental issues, health issues, just curiosity about, well, gosh, what does turmeric do for me? Should I be taking something? I want to know what people want to know because that's going to help me to individualize and make content that is going to be the most applicable to what people are really looking to hear about. Well, Mary, I want to thank you so much for your entertaining work and for making our work more fun and enjoyable for the public. 
we need to close, but I'd love to have you back in the future to talk more about these fascinating topics. But in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mary Purdy integrative registered dietitian based in Seattle. She is the host of the entertaining Mary's Nutrition Show. We'll provide a link for our listeners. And she's also the author of the recently published book, Serving the Broccoli Gods. Thank you so much for adding to our profession. Thank you, Melinda. I'm such a huge fan of yours. So it is truly my honor to have been here. I feel completely blessed. Thank you for all you are doing for the food world. Thank you. Thank you. 